1: Chapter 1 of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Grey. Chapter 1. Twilight of a certain summer day many years ago shaded softly down over the wild Ohio Valley, bringing keen anxiety to a traveler on the lonely river trail he had expected to reach fort henry with his party on this night thus putting a welcome end to the long rough hazardous journey through the wilderness but the swift oncoming dusk made it imperative to halt the narrow forest skirted trail difficult to follow in broad daylight apparently led into gloomy aisles in the woods his guide had abandoned him that morning making excuse that his services were no longer needed his teamster was new to the frontier and altogether the situation caused him much uneasiness "'I wouldn't so much mind another night in camp "'if the guide had not left us,' he said in a low tone to the teamster. "'That Worthy shook his shaggy head and growled "'while he began unhitching the horses. "'Uncle,' said a young man who had clambered out from the wagon, "'we must be within a few miles of Fort Henry.' "'How do you know we're near the fort?' interrupted the teamster. Or safe either, for that matter. "'I don't know this country.' the guide assured me we could easily make fort henry by sundown that guide i tell you mr shepherd not so loud do not alarm my daughter cautioned the man who had been called shepherd did you notice anything queer about that guide asked the teamster lowering his voice did you see how uneasy he was last night did it strike you he left us in a hurry kind of excited like in spite of his off-hand manner yes he acted odd or so it seemed to me replied shepard how about you will now that i think of it i believe he was queer he behaved like a man who expected somebody or feared something might happen i fancied however that it was simply the manner of a woodsman well in my opinion said the teamster in a gruff whisper he was in a hurry to be a goin', and wouldn't take no advice the fur trader at fort pitt didn't give this guy jinx no good send-off any one well known around Pitt, except he could handle a knife some. "'What is your opinion?' asked Shepard, as the teamster paused. "'Well, the valley below Pitt is full of renegades, outlaws, and hoss-thieves. Redskins ain't so bad as they used to be, but these white fellows were worse than ever. This guy Jenks might be in with him. That's all. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope so. The way he left us looks bad.' We won't borrow trouble if we have come all this way without seeing either Indian or outlaw. In fact, without incident, I feel certain we can perform the remainder of the journey in safety. Then Mr. Shepherd raised his voice. Here, Helen, you lazy girl, come out of that wagon. We want some supper. Well, you gather some firewood, and we'll soon give this gloomy little glen a more cheerful aspect. As Mr. Shepherd turned toward the canvas-covered wagon, a girl leaped out, lightly down beside him. She was nearly as tall as he is this fort henry she asked cheerily beginning to dance around him where's the inn i'm so hungry how glad i am to get out of that wagon i'd like to run isn't this a lonesome lovely spot A campfire soon crackled with hiss and sputter fragrant wood smoke filled the air steaming kettle and savory steaks of venison cheered the hungry travelers making them forget for the time the desertion of their guide and the fact that they might be lost The last glow faded entirely out of the western sky. Night enveloped the forest, and the little glade was a bright spot in the gloom. The flickering light showed Mr. Shepard to be a well-preserved old man with gray hair and ruddy, kindly face. The nephew had a boyish, frank expression. The girl was a splendid specimen of womanhood. Her large, laughing eyes were as dark as the shadows beneath the trees. Suddenly a quick start on Helen's part interrupted the merry flow of conversation. She sat bolt upright, with half-averted face. "'Cousin, what is the matter?' asked Will quickly. Helen remained motionless. "'My dear,' said Mr. Shepherd sharply. "'I heard a footstep,' she whispered, pointing with trembling finger toward the impenetrable blackness beyond the campfire. All could hear a soft patter on the leaves. Then distinct footfalls broke the silence. The tired teamster raised his shaggy head and glanced fearfully around the glade. Mr. Shepherd and Will glazed doubtfully towards the foliage. But Helen did not change her position. The travelers appeared stricken by the silence and solitude of the place. The Faint hum of insects and the low moan of the night wind seemed accentuated by the almost painful stillness. A panther most likely, suggested Shepherd, in a voice which he intended should be reassuring i saw one today slinking along the trail i'd better get my gun from the wagon said will how dark and wild it is here exclaimed helen nervously i believe i was frightened perhaps i fancied it and there again listen uh two tall figures emerged from the darkness into the circle of light and with swift supple steps gained the campfire before any of the travelers had time to move they were indians and, the brandishing of their tomahawks, proclaimed that they were hostile. "'Woo!' grunted the taller savage, as he looked down upon the defenseless frightened group. As the menacing figures stood in the glare of the fire, gazing at the party with shifty eyes, they presented a frightful appearance, fierce lineaments, all the more so because of bars of paint and hideous shaven heads adorned with tufts of hair holding a single feather, sinewy copper-colored limbs suggestive, of action and endurance the general aspect of untamed ferocity appalled the travelers and chilled their blood grunts and chuckles manifested the satisfaction with which the indians fell upon the half-finished supper they caused it to vanish with astonishing celerity and resembled wolves rather than human beings in their greediness helen looked timidly around as if hoping to see those who would aid and the savages regarded her with ill-humor a movement on the part of any member of the group caused muscular hands to steal towards the tomahawks suddenly the larger savage clutched his companion's knee then lifting his hatchet shook it with a significant gesture in shepherd's face at the same time putting a finger to his lips to enjoin silence both indians became statuesque in their immobility they crouched in an attitude of listening with heads bent on one side nostrils dilated and mouths open. One, two, three moments passed. The silence of the forest appeared to be unbroken, but ears as keen as those of a deer had detected some sound. The larger savage dropped noiselessly to the ground, where he lay stretched out with his ear to the ground. The other remained immovable. Only his beady eyes gave signs of life, and these covered every point. Finally the big savage rose silently. Pointed down the dark trail and strode out of the circle of light his companion followed close at his heels the two disappeared in the black shadows like spectres as silently as they had come wow breathed helen i am immensely relieved exclaimed will what do you make of such strange behavior shepherd asked of the teamster i suspect they got wind of somebody most likely that guide, and he'll be back again if they ain't "'It's cause they got switched off by some signs or tokens, skeered, perhaps by the scent of the wind.' Hardly had he ceased speaking, when again the circle of light was invaded by stalking forms. i thought so. Here come the skulking varmints,' whispered the teamster. But he was wrong. A deep, calm voice spoke the single word. "'Friends.' The two men in the brown garb of woodsmen approached. One approached the travelers, the other remained in the background, leaning upon a long black rifle. Thus exposed to the glare of the flames, the foremost woodsman presented a singularly picturesque figure. His costume was fringed with buckskin, of the border. Fully six feet tall, this lithe-limbed young giant had something of the wild free grace of the Indian in his posture. He surveyed the wandering travelers with dark, grave eyes. Did the Reddies do any mischief? He asked, "No, they didn't harm us, replied Shepherd. They ate our supper and slipped off into the woods without so much as touching one of us, but indeed, sir, we are mighty glad to see you. will echoed this sentiment, and Helen's big eyes were fastened upon the stranger in welcome and wonder. We saw your fire blazing through the twilight and came up just in time to see the engines make off. Might they not hide in the bushes and shoot us?" asked will who had listened to many a border story at Fort Pitt. It seems as if we'd make good targets in this light." The gravity of the woodsman's face relaxed. "'Will you pursue them?' asked Helen. "'They've melted into the night shadows long ago,' he replied. "Who is your guide?' "'I hired him at Fort Pitt. He left us suddenly this morning. A big man, with black beard and bushy eyebrows. A bit of his ear had been shot or cut out,' Shepard replied. Jenks, one of Bing Legget's border hawks. You have his name right, and who may Bing Legget be? He's not law. Jenks has been trying to lead you into a trap. Likely he expected those injuns to show up a day or two ago. Something went wrong with the plan, I reckon. Maybe he was waiting for five Shawnees. And maybe he'll never see three of of 'em again. Something suggestive cold and grim in the last words did not escape the listeners how far are we from fort henry asked shepherd eighteen miles the crow flies longer by trail treachery exclaimed the old man we were no more than that this morning it is indeed fortunate that you found us i take it you are from fort henry and will guide us there i am an old friend of colonel zane's he will appreciate any kindness you may show us of course you may know him i am jonathan zane Shepard suddenly realized that he was facing the most celebrated scout on the border. In revolutionary times, Zane's fame had extended even to the far-Atlantic colonies. "'And your companion?' asked Shepard, with keen interest. He guessed what might be told. Border lore coupled Jonathan Zane with a strange and terrible character, a border nemesis, a mysterious, shadowy, elusive man, whom few pioneers ever saw, but of whom all knew. answered zane with one accord the travelers gazed curiously at zane's silent companion in the dim background of the glow cast by the fire he stood a gigantic figure dark quiet and yet with something intangible in his shadowy outline suddenly he appeared to merge into the gloom as if he really were a phantom a warning hist came from the bushes with one swift kick zane scattered the campfire The travelers waited with bated breath. They could hear nothing save the beating of their own hearts. They could not even see each other. Better go to sleep, came in Zane's calm voice. What a relief it was. We'll keep watching. At daybreak, guide you to Fort Henry.
2: End of Chapter 1
1: Chapter 2 of The Last Trail this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Grey, chapter 2. Colonel Zane, a rugged stalwart pioneer with a strong dark face, sat listening to his old friend's dramatic story. At its close, a genial smile twinkled on his fine dark eyes. "Well, well, Shepherd," No doubt it was a thrilling adventure to you, he said. It might have been a little more interesting, and doubtless would, had I not sent Wenzel and Jonathan to look you up. You did? How on earth did you know I was on the border? I counted much on the surprise I should give you. My Indian runners leave Fort Pitt ahead of any travelers and acquaint me with the particulars. I remembered a fleet-looking Indian who seemed to be asking for information about us, when we arrived at Fort Pitt. I am sorry I did not take the fur-trader's advice in regard to the guide. But I was in such a hurry to come, and didn't feel able to bear the expense of a raft or boat, that we might come by river. My nephew brought considerable gold, and I all my earthly possessions." "'All's well that ends well,' replied Colonel Zane cheerily but we must thank Providence that Wetzel and Jonathan came up in the nick of time. Indeed, yes, I'm not likely to forget those fierce savages, how they slipped off into the darkness. I wonder if Wetzel pursued them. He disappeared last night, and we did not see him again. In fact, we hardly had a fair look at him. I question if I should recognize him now, unless by his great stature. He was ahead of Jonathan on the trail. That is Wetzel's way. In times of danger he is seldom seen, yet is always near. Come, let us go out and look around. I am running up a log cabin which will come in handy for you. They passed out into the shade of pine and maples. A winding path led down a gentle slope. On the hillside, under a spreading tree, a throng of bearded pioneers, clad in faded buckskins and wearing white-ringed coonskin caps, were erecting a log cabin life here on the border is keen hard invigorating said colonel zane i tell you george shepherd in spite of your gray hair and your pretty daughter you've come out west because you want to live among men who do things colonel i won't gainsay i've still got hot blood replied shepherd but i came to fort henry for land my old home in williamsburg has fallen into ruin together with the fortunes of my family i brought my daughter and my nephew because i wanted them to take root in new soil well george right glad we are to have you here where are your sons i remember them though it's sixteen long years since i left old williamsburg gone the revolution took my sons helen is the last of the family well well indeed that's hard independence has cost you colonists a big price as border freedom has us pioneers come old friend forget the past a new life begins for you here and it will be one which gives you much. See? Up goes a cabin. That will soon be your home. Shepherd's eye marked the sturdy pioneers in a fast diminishing pile of white oak logs. Ho oh, heave cried a brawny foreman. A dozen stout shoulders sagged beneath a well-trimmed log. Ho oh, heave yelled the foreman. See, up she goes, cried the Colonel, and tomorrow night she'll shed rain. They walked down a sandy lane bounded on the right by a wide green clearing, and on the left by a line of chestnuts and maples, outposts of the thick forest beyond. "'Yours is a fine sight for a house,' observed Shefford, taking in the clean-trimmed field that extended up the hillside a brook that splashed clear and noisy over stones to tarry in a little grass-bound lake which forced water through half hollowed logs into a spring house. "'I think so.' this is the fourth time i've put up a cabin on this land replied the colonel how's that the redskins are keen to burn things shepherd laughed at the pioneer's reply it's not difficult colonel zane to understand why fort henry has stood all these years with you as its leader certainly the location of your cabin is the finest in the settlement what a view high upon a bluff overhanging the majestic slow winding ohio the colonel's cabin afforded a commanding position from which to view the picturesque valley. Shepherd's eye first caught the outline of the huge, old, time-blackened fort which frowned protectively over surrounding log-cabins. Then he saw the white sweeping river, with its verdant islands, golden sandy bars, and willow-bordered shores, while beyond rolling pastures of wavy grass merging into green forests that swept upward a slow swell until lost in the dim purple of distant mountains sixteen years ago i came out of the thicket upon yonder bluff and saw this valley i was deeply impressed by its beauty but more by its wonderful promise were you alone had my dog there had been a few white men before me on the river but i was the first to see this glorious valley from the bluff now george i'll let you have a hundred acres of well-cleared land The soil is so rich you can raise two crops in one season. With some stock and a few good hands, you'll soon be a busy man. I didn't expect so much land. I can't well afford to pay for it. Talk to me of payments when the farm yields an income. Is this young nephew of yours strong and willing? He is. He has gold enough to buy a big farm. Let him keep his money and— make a comfortable home for some good lass we marry our young people early out here and your daughter george is she fitted for this hard border life never fear for helen the brunt of this pioneer work falls on our women god bless them how heroic they've been the life here is rough for a man let alone a woman but it is a man's game we need girls girls who will bear strong men Yet I am always saddened when I see one come out on the border. I think I knew what I was bringing Helen to. And she didn't flinch, said Shepherd, somewhat surprised at the tone in which the Colonel spoke. No one knows until he has lived on the border. Well, well, all this is discouraging to you. Ah, uh, here's Miss Helen with my sister. The Colonel's fine dark face lost its sternness and brightened with a smile. I hope you rested well after your long ride i am seldom tired and i have been made most comfortable i thank you and your sister replied the girl giving colonel zane her hand and including both him and his sister in the grateful glance the colonel's sister was a slender handsome young woman whose dark beauty showed to most effective advantage by the contrast with her companion's fair skin golden hair and blue eyes beautiful as was helen shepherd it was her eyes that held colonel zane irresistibly they were unusually large of a dark purple blue that changed shaded shadowed with her every thought come let us walk colonel zane said abruptly and with mr shepherd followed the girls down the path he escorted them to the fort showed a long room with little squares cut in the rough hewn logs many bullet holes fire charred timbers and dark stains terribly suggestive of the pain and heroism which the defense of that rude structure had cost. Under Helen's eager questioning, Colonel Zane yielded to his weakness for story-telling, and recited the history of the last siege of Fort Henry, how the renegade Girty swooped down upon the settlement with hundreds of Indians and British soldiers, how for three days of whistling bullets, flaming arrows, screeching demons, fire, smoke, and— Attack following attack, the brave defenders stood at their post, there to die before yielding. Grand, breathed Helen, and her eyes glowed. It was then Betty Zane ran with the powder. Oh, I've heard the story. Let my sister tell you of that, said the Colonel, smiling. You, was it you? And Helen's eyes glowed brighter with the light of youth's glory in great deeds. My sister has been wedded and widowed since then said Colonel Zane reading in Helen's earnest scrutiny of his sister's calm sad face a wonder if this quiet woman could be the fearless and famed Elizabeth Zane Impulsively Helen's hand closed softly over her companion's out of the girlish sympathetic action a warm friendship was born I imagine things do happen here said Mr Shepherd hoping to hear more from Colonel Zane the colonel smiled grimly every summer during fifteen years has been a bloody one on the border the sieges from fort henry and crawford's defeat the biggest things we ever knew out here are matters of history of course you are familiar with them but the numberless indian forays and attacks the women who have been carried into captivity by renegades the murdered farmers in fact ceaseless war never long directed at any point but carried on in the entire length of the river are matters known only to the pioneers within five miles of fort henry i can show you where the laurel bushes grow three feet high over the ashes of two settlements and many a clearing where some unfortunate pioneer had staked his claim and thrown up a log cabin only to die fighting for his wife and children between here and fort pitt there is only one settlement yellow creek and most of its inhabitants are survivors of villages further up the river last summer we had the moravian massacre the blackest most inhuman deed ever committed since then simon girty and his bloody redskins have lain low he must have always been a big force said shepherd we've managed always to be strong enough though there never was a large number of men here during the last siege i had only forty in the fort counting men women and boys but i had pioneers and women who could handle a rifle and the best bordermen on the frontier do you make a distinction between pioneer and borderman asked shepherd indeed yes i'm a pioneer a borderman is an indian hunter or scout for years my cabins housed andrew zane sam and john mccolick bill metzer and john and martin wetzel all of whom are dead not one saved his scalp fort henry is growing it has pioneers, rivermen, soldiers, but only two bordermen, Wetzel and Jonathan, are the only ones we have left of these great men. They must be old," mused Helen, with a dreamy glow still in her eyes. "Well, Miss Helen, not in years as you mean. Life here is old and experienced. Few pioneers and no bordermen live to a great age. Wetzel, about forty, and my brother Jonathan, still a young man, but both are old in border lore." earnestly as a man who loves his subject colonel zane told his listeners of these two most prominent characters of the border sixteen years previously when but boys and years they had cast in their lot with his and journeyed over the virginian mountains wetzel to devote his life to the vengeful calling he had chosen and jonathan to give rein to an adventurous spirit and love all of the wilds by some wonderful chance by cunning woodcraft or daring both men had lived through the years of border warfare which had brought to a close the careers of all their contemporaries for many years. Wetzel preferred the solitude to companionship. he roamed the wilderness in pursuit of Indians, his lifelong foes, and seldom appeared at the settlement except to bring news of an intended raid of the savages. Jonathan also spent much time alone in the woods or scouting along the river. But of late years a friendship had ripened between the two bordermen mutual interest had brought them together on the trail of a noted renegade and when after many long days of patient watching and persistent tracking the outlaw paid an awful penalty for his bloody deeds these lone and silent men were friends powerful in build fleet as dear fearless and tireless wetzel's peculiar bloodhound sagacity ferocity and implacibility balanced by jonathan's keen intelligence and judgment caused these bordermen to become the bane of red men and renegades their fame increased with each succeeding summer until now the people of the settlement looked upon wonderful deeds of strength and of woodcraft as a matter of course rejoicing in the power and skill with which these men were endowed by common consent the pioneers attributed any mysterious deed from the finding of a fat turkey on a cabin doorstep to the discovery of a savage scalped and pulled from his ambush near a settler's spring to Wetzel and Jonathan. All the more did they feel sure of this conclusion because the bordermen never spoke of their deeds. Sometimes a pioneer living on the outskirts of the settlement would be awakened in the morning by a single rifle shot, and on peering out would see a dead Indian lying almost across his doorstep, while beyond in the dim gray mist a tall figure stealing away often in the twilight on a summer evening while fondling his children and enjoying his smoke after a hard day's labor in the fields this same settler would see the tall dark figure of jonathan zane step noiselessly out of a thicket and learn that he must take his family and flee at once to the fort for safety when a settler was murdered his children carried into captivity by indians and the wife given over to the power of some brutal renegade tragedies woefully frequent on the border wetzel and jonathan took the trail alone many a white woman was returned alive and sometimes unharmed to her relatives more than one maiden lived to be captured rescued and returned to her lover while almost numberless were the bones of brutal red men lying in the deep and gloomy woods or bleaching on the plains silent ghastly reminders of the stern justice meted out by these two heroes such are my two bordermen miss shepherd the fort there and all those cabins would only be black ashes save for them and as for us our wives and children god only knows haven't they wives and children too asked helen no answered colonel zane with his genial smile such joys are not for bordermen why not fine men like them deserve happiness declared helen it is necessary we have such said the colonel simply and they cannot be bordermen unless as free as the air blows Wetzel and Jonathan have never had sweethearts. I believe Wetzel loved a lass once, but he was an Indian killer whose hands were red with blood. He silenced his heart and kept his chosen, lonely life. Jonathan does not seem to realize that women exist to charm, to please, to be loved and married. Once we twitted him about his brothers doing their duty by the border, whereupon he flashed out, "'My life is the border's. My sweetheart is the North Star.' Helen dreamily watched the dancing, dimpling waves that broke on the stones of the river shore, all unconscious of the powerful impression the colonel's recital had made upon her. She was feeling the greatness of the lives of those border men, and the glory it would now be for her to share with others, the pride in their protection. "'Say, Shepard, look here,' said Colonel Zane. On the return to his cabin, "'That girl of yours has a pair of eyes. I can't forget the way they flashed they'll cause more trouble here among my garrison than with a swarm of redskins no you don't mean it out here in this wilderness queried shepherd doubtfully well i do oh lord what a time i had with that girl there was one man especially back home who made our lives miserable he was rich and well-born but helen would have none of him he got around me old fool that i am practically stole what was left of my estate and gambled away when Helen said she'd die before giving herself to him. It was partly on his account that I brought her away. Then there were a lot of moon-eyed beggars after her all the time. And she's young and full of fire. I hoped I'd marry her to some farmer out here and end my days in peace. Peace? With eyes like those? Never on this green earth! And Colonel Zane laughed as he slapped his friend on the shoulder. Don't worry, old fellow you can't help her having those changing dark blue eyes any more than you can help being proud of them they have won me already susceptible old backwoodsman i'll help you with this spirited young lady i've had experience shepherd and don't you forget it first my sister a zane all through which is saying enough then as sweet and fiery a little indian princess as ever stepped in a beaded moccasin and since more than one beautiful impulsive creature being in authority i suppose it's natural that all the work from keeping the garrison ready against an attack to straightening out love affairs should fall upon me i'll take the care off your shoulders i'll keep those young daredevils from killing each other over miss helen's favors i certainly hello there are strangers at the gate something's up half a dozen rough-looking men had appeared from round the corner of the cabin and halted at the gate Bill Elsing and some of his men from Yellow Creek, said Colonel Zane, as he went toward the group. Hello, Colonel was the greeting of the foremost, evidently the leader. We've lost six head of horses over our way, and are out looking em up. The deuce you have. Say, this horse stealing business is getting interesting. What did you come in for? Well, we meets Jonathan on the ridge about sun up, and he sent us back liggity cut said he had two of the horses corralled, and maybe Wetzel could get the others. "'That's strange,' replied Colonel Zane thoughtfully. "Pears to me Jack and Wetzel have some redskins treed and don't want us to spoil the fun. Maybe there wasn't scalps enough to go around. Anyway, we come in and we'll hang up here today. Bill, who's doing this horse-stealing?' "'Damn if I know it's a mighty pert piece of work.' I've a mind it's some slick white feller with engines backing him. Helen noted, when she was once more indoors, that Colonel Zane's wife appeared worried. Her usual placid expression was gone. She put off the playful overtures of her two bright boys with unusual indifference, and turned to her husband with anxious questioning as to whether the strangers brought news of Indians. Upon being assured that such was not the case, she looked relieved and explained to Helen that she had seen armed men come so often to consult the colonel regarding dangerous missions and expeditions that the sight of a stranger caused her unspeakable dread. "'I am accustomed to danger, yet I can never control my fears for my husband and children,' said Mrs. Zane. "'The older I grow, the more of a coward I am. Oh, this border-life is sad for women. Only a little while ago my brother Samuel McCullough was shot and scalped right here on the river bank. He was going to the spring for a bucket of water. I lost another brother in almost the same way. Every day during the summer a husband and a father fall victim to some murderous Indian. My husband will go in the same way some day. The border claims them all. Bessie, you must not show your fears to our new friend. And Miss Helen, don't believe she's the coward she would make out, said the colonel's sister smilingly betty's right bess don't frighten her said colonel zane i'm afraid i talked too much to-day but miss helen you were so interested and are such a good listener that i couldn't refrain once for all let me say that you will no doubt see stirring life here but there is little danger of its affecting you to be sure i think you'll have troubles but not with indians or outlaws he winked at his wife and sister at first helen did not understand his sally but then she blushed red all over her fair face. Some time after that, while unpacking her belongings, she heard the clatter of horses' hoofs on the rocky road. Accompanied by loud voices running to the window, she saw a group of men at the gate. "'Miss Shepherd, will you come out?' called Colonel Zane's sister from the door. "'My brother Jonathan has returned.' Helen joined Betty at the door and looked over her shoulder. "'Well, Jack, you got two on em anyways.' drawled a voice which she recognized as that of Elsing's. A man lithe and supple slipped from the back of one of the horses, and, giving the halter to Elsing, with a single word, turned and entered the gate. Colonel Zane met him there. "'Well, Jonathan, what's up?' "'There's hell to pay,' was the reply, and the speaker's voice rang clear and sharp. Colonel Zane laid his hand on his brother's shoulder, and thus they stood for a moment singularly alike, and yet the sturdy pioneer was somehow far different from the dark-haired border-man. "'I thought we'd trouble in store from the look on your face,' said the colonel calmly. "'I hope you hadn't very bad news on the first day for our old friends from Virginia.' Jonathan cried Betty, when he did not answer the colonel. At her call he half turned, and his dark eyes steadily strained like those of the watching deer sought his sister's face. Betty old jake lane was murdered by horse thieves yesterday and mabel lane is gone oh gasped betty but she said nothing more colonel zane cursed inaudibly you know eb i tried to keep lane in the settlement for mabel's sake but he wanted to work that farm i believe horse stealing wasn't as much of an object as the girl pretty women are bad for the border or any other place i guess witzel has taken the trail and I came in because i've serious suspicions i'll explain to you alone the border man bowed gravely to helen with a natural grace and yet a manner that set awkwardly upon him the girl slightly flushed and somewhat confused by this meeting with the man around whom her romantic imagination had already woven a story stood in the doorway after giving him a fleeting glance the fairest sweetest picture of girlish beauty ever seen the men went into the house, but their voices came distinctly through the door. Eb, if Bing Leggett or Gritty ever see that big-eyed lass, they'll have her even if Fort Henry has to be burned. And in case they do get her, Wetzel and I'll have taken our last trail.
2: End of chapter 2
1: Chapter 3 of The Last Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter 3. Supper over, Colonel Zane led his guests to a side porch, where they were soon joined by Mrs. Zane and Betty. The host's two boys, Noah and Sammy who had preceded them, were now astride the porch-rail, and, to judge by their antics, were riding wild Indian mustangs. "'It's quite cool,' said Colonel Zane, "'but I want you to see the sunset in the valley. A good many of our future neighbors may come over to-night for a word of welcome. It's the border custom.'" He was about to seat himself by the side of Mr. Shepherd, on a rustic bench when a negro maid appeared in the doorway carrying a smiling black-eyed baby colonel zane took the child and holding it aloft said with fatherly pride this is rebecca zane the first girl baby born to the zanes and destined to be the belle of the border may i have her asked helen softly holding out her arms she took the child and placed it upon her knee where its look of solemnity soon changed to one of infantile delight Here come Nell and Jim," said Mrs. Zane, pointing toward the fort. "Yes, and there comes my brother Silas with his wife too," added Colonel Zane. The first couple are James Downs, our young minister, and Nell his wife. They came out here a year or so ago. James had a brother, Joe, the finest young fellow who ever caught the border fever. He was killed by one of the Gerties. He was a wonderful story, and some day you shall hear about the parson and his wife. What's the border fever? asked mr shepherd it's what brought you out here replied colonel zane with a hearty laugh helen gazed with interest at the couple now coming into the yard and when they gained the porch she saw that the man was big and tall with a frank manly bearing while his wife was a slender little woman with bright sunny hair and a sweet smiling face they greeted helen and her father cordially next came silas zane a typical bronzed and bearded pioneer with his buxom wife presently a little group of villagers joined the party they were rugged men clad in faded buckskins and sober-faced women who wore dresses of plain gray linsey they welcomed the newcomers with simple homely courtesy then six young frontiersmen appeared from around a corner of the cabin advancing hesitantly to helen they all looked alike tall awkward with brown faces and big hands When Colonel Zane cheerily cried out to them, they stumbled forward with evident embarrassment, each literally crushing Helen's hand in his horny palm. Afterward they leaned on the rail and stole glances at her. Soon a large number of villagers were on the porch or in the yard. After paying their respects to Helen and her father, they took part in a general conversation. Two or three girls, the latest callers, were surrounded by half a dozen young fellows, and their laughter sounded high above the hum of voices. Helen gazed upon this company with mingled feelings of relief and pleasure. She had been more concerned regarding the young people with whom her lot might be cast than the dangers of which others had told. She knew that on the border there was no distinction of rank. Though she came of an old family and, during her girlhood, had been surrounded by refinement, even luxury, she had accepted cheerfully the reverses of fortune and was determined to curb the pride which had been hers it was necessary she should have friends warm-hearted impulsive and loving she needed to have around her those in whom she could confide therefore it was with sincere pleasure she understood how groundless were her fears and knew that if she did not find good true friends the fault would be her own she saw at a glance that the colonel's widowed sister was her equal perhaps her superior in education and breeding while Nellie Doens was a well-bred and gracious little lady, as she had ever met. Then the other girls, too, were charming, with frank wholesomeness and freedom. Concerning the young men, of whom there were about a dozen, Helen had hardly arrived at a conclusion. She liked the ruggedness, the signs of honest worth which clung to them. Despite her youth, she had been much sought after because of her personal attractions, and had thus added experience to the natural keen intuition all women possess the glances of several of the men particularly the bold regard of one roger brandt whom colonel zane introduced she had seen before and learned to dislike on the whole however she was delighted with the prospect of new friends and future prosperity and she felt even greater pleasure in the certainty that her father shared her gratification suddenly she became aware that the conversation had ceased she looked up to see the tall, lithe form of Jonathan Zane. As he strode across the porch, she could see that a certain constraint had momentarily fallen upon the company. It was an involuntary acknowledgment of the borderman's presence—of a presence that worked on all alike, with a subtle, strong magnetism. "'Ah, Jonathan, come out and see the sunset.' "'It's unusually fine to-night,' said Colonel Zane. With hardly more than a perceptible bow to those present, the borderman took a seat near the rail, and, leaning upon it, directed his gaze westward. Ellen sat so near she could have touched him. She was conscious of the same strange feeling and the impelling sense of power which had come upon her so strongly at first sight of him. More than that, a lively interest had been aroused in her. This borderman was to her a new and novel character she was amused at learning that there was a young man absolutely indifferent to the charms of the opposite sex and although hardly admitting such a thing she believed it would be possible to win him from his indifference on raising her eyelids it was with the unconcern which a woman feigns when suspecting she is being regarded with admiring eyes but jonathan zane might not have known of her presence for all the attention he paid her therefore having a good opportunity to gaze at this border man of daring deeds helen regarded him closely he was clad from head to foot in smooth soft buckskin which fitted well his powerful frame beaded moccasins leggings bound high above the knees hunting coat laced and fringed all had the neat tidy appearance due to good care He wore no weapons. His hair fell in a raven mass over his shoulders. His profile was regular, with a long, straight nose, strong chin, and eyes black as night. They were now fixed intently on the valley. The whole face gave an impression of serenity and calmness. Helen was wondering if the sad, almost stern, tranquility of that face ever changed. When the baby cooed and held out its chubby little hands, Jonathan's smile, which came quickly accompanied by a warm light in the eyes, relieved Helen of an unaccountable repugnance she had begun to feel towards the borderman. That smile, brief as a flash, showed his gentle kindness and told that he was not a creature who had set himself apart from human life and love. As he took little Rebecca, one of his hands touched Helen's. If he had taken heed of the contact, as any ordinary man might well have, she would, perhaps, have thought nothing about it. But because he did not appear to realize that her hand had been almost enclosed in his, she could not help again feeling his singular personality. She saw that this man had absolutely no thought of her. At the moment this did not awaken resentment, for with all her fire and pride she was not vain, but amusement gave place to a respect which came involuntarily. Little Rebecca presently manifested the faithlessness peculiar to her sex, and had no sooner been taken upon Jonathan's knee than she cried out to go back to Helen. "'Girls are uncommonly coy critters,' said he, with a grave smile in his eyes. He handed back the child, and once more was absorbed in the setting sun. Helen looked down the valley to behold the most beautiful spectacle she had ever seen. Between the hills far to the west the sky flamed with a red and gold light. The sun was poised above the river, and the shimmering waters merged into a ruddy horizon. Long rays of crimson fire crossed the smooth waters. A few purple clouds above caught the refulgence until, aided by the delicate rose and blue space beyond, they became many-hued ships sailing on a rainbow sea. Each second saw a gorgeous transformation. Slowly the sun dipped into the golden flood. One by one the clouds changed from crimson to gold, from gold to rose, and then to gray. Slowly all the tints faded until, as the sun slipped out of sight, the brilliance gave way to the soft afterglow of warm lights. These in turn slowly toned down into gray twilight. Helen retired to her room soon afterward and, being unusually thoughtful, sat down by the window. She reviewed the events of this first day of her new life on the border. Her impressions had been so many, so varied, that she wanted to distinguish them. First she felt glad, with a sweet, warm thankfulness, that her father seemed so happy, so encouraged by the outlook. Breaking old ties had been, she knew, no child's play for him. She realized also that it had been done solely because there had been nothing left to offer her in the old home and in a new one were hope and possibilities. Then she was relieved at getting away from the attentions of a man whose persistence had been most annoying to her. From thoughts of her father and the old life she came to her new friends of the present. She was so grateful for their kindness. She certainly would do all in her power to win and keep their esteem. Somewhat of a surprise was it to her that she reserved for Jonathan Zane the last and most prominent place in her meditations. She suddenly asked herself how she regarded this fighting borderman. She recalled her unbounded enthusiasm for the man as Colonel Zane had told of him. Then her first glimpse, and her surprise and admiration at the lithe-limbed young giant, then incredulity, amusement, and respect followed in swift order, after which an unaccountable coldness that was almost resentment. Helen was forced to admit that she did not know how to regard him, but surely he was a man, throughout every inch of his superb frame, and one who took life seriously, with neither thought nor time for the opposite sex. And this last brought a blush to her cheek, for she distinctly remembered she had expected, if not admiration, more than passing notice from this hero of the border. Presently she took a little mirror from the table near where she sat. Holding it to catch the fast-fading light, she studied her face seriously. Ellen Shepherd, I think on the occasion of your arrival in a new country. A little plain talk would be wholesome. Somehow or other, perhaps because of a crowd of idle men back there in the colonies, possibly from your own misguided fancy, you imagined you were fair to look at it is well to be undeceived." Scorn spoke in Helen's voice. She was angry because of having been interested in a man, and allowed that interest to betray her into a girlish expectation that he would treat her as all other men had. The mirror, even in the dim light, spoke more truly than she, for it caught the golden tints of her luxuriant hair, the thousand beautiful shadows in her great dark eyes. The white glory of a face fair as a star, and the swelling outline of neck and shoulders, with sudden fiery impetuosity, she flung the glass to the floor where it was broken into several pieces. How foolish of me! What a temper I have! She explained repentantly. I'm glad I have another glass. Wouldn't Mister Jonathan Zane, Borderman, Indian fighter, hero of a hundred battles? and never a sweetheart be flattered no most decidedly he wouldn't he never looked at me i don't think i expected that i'm sure i didn't want it but still he might have what am i thinking and he a stranger before helen lost herself in slumber on that eventful evening she vowed to ignore the borderman assured herself that she did not want to see him again and rather inconsistently that she would cure him of his indifference when colonel zane's guests had retired and the villagers were gone to their homes he was free to consult with jonathan well jack he said i'm ready to hear about the horse thieves wetzel makes it out the man who's running the horse stealin' is located right here in fort henry answered the borderman the colonel had lived too long on the frontier to show surprise he hummed a tune while the genial expression faded slowly from his face last count there were one hundred and ten men at the fort he replied thoughtfully i know over a hundred and can trust them there are some new fellows on the boats and several strangers hanging around Metzer's." Pears to lou and me that this feller is a slick customer and one who's been here long enough to know our hosses and where we keep em i see like miller who fooled us all even betty when he stole our powder and then sold it to gertie rejoined colonel zane grimly exactly only this feller is slicker and more desperate than miller right you are jack for the man who has trusted and betrayed us must be desperate does he realize what he'll get if we ever find out or is he underrating us he knows all right and is matching his cunning against ours. tell me what you and Wetzel learned. learn the borderman proceeded to relate the events that had occurred during a recent tramp in the forest with wetzel while returning from a hunt in a swamp several miles over the ridge back of fort henry they ran across the trail of three indians They followed this until darkness set in, when both laid down to rest and wait for the early dawn, that time most propitious for taking the savage by surprise. On resuming the trail, they found that other Indians had joined the party they were tracking. To the bordermen, this was significant of some unusual activity directed toward the settlement. Unable to learn anything definite from the moccasin traces, they hurried up on the trail to find that the Indians had halted. Wetzel and Jonathan saw from their convert that the savages had a woman prisoner. A singular feature about it all was that the Indians remained in the same place all day, did not light a campfire, and kept a sharp lookout. The bordermen crept up as close as safe and remained on watch during the day and night. Early next morning, when the air was fading from black to gray, the silence was broken by the snapping of twigs and a tremor of the ground. The bordermen believed another company of Indians was approaching, but they soon saw it was a single white man leading a number of horses. He departed before daybreak. Wetzel and Jonathan could not get a clear view of him owing to the dim light, but they heard his voice and afterwards found the imprint of his moccasins. They did, however, recognize the six horses as belonging to settlers in Yellow Creek. While Jonathan and Wetzel were consulting as to what it was best to do, the party of indians divided four going directly west and the others north wetzel immediately took the trail of the larger party with the prisoner and four of the horses jonathan caught two of the animals which the indians had turned loose and tied them in the forest he then started after the three indians who had gone northward well colonel zane said impatiently when jonathan hesitated in his story one got away he said reluctantly i barked him as he was runnin like a streak through the bushes and judged that he was hard hit i got the horses and turned back on the trail of the white man where did it end in that hard packed path near the blacksmith shop and a feller steps as light as an injun he's here then sure as you're born we've lost no horses yet but last week old sam heard a noise in the barn and, on going there, found Betty's mare, out of her stall. "'Someone as knows the lay of the land has been after her,' suggested Jonathan. "'You can bet on that. We've got to find him before we lose all the fine horse flesh we own. Where do these stolen animals go? Indians would steal any kind. But this thief takes only the best. "'I'm to meet Wetzel on the ridge soon, and then we'll know.' Ree's going to find out where the hosses are taken that'll help some on the way back you found where the white girl had been taken from murdered father burned cabin the usual deviltry exactly poor maybelle do you think this white thief had anything to do with carrying her away no witzel says that's bing leggett's work the shawnees were members of his gang well jack what'll i do keep quiet and wait was the borderman's answer. Colonel Zane, old pioneer and frontiersman, though he was, shuddered as he went to his room. His brother's dark look and his deadly calmness were significant. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 of The Last Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Mike Vendetti mikevendetti.com The last trail by Zane Grey chapter 4 To those few who saw Jonathan Zane in the village it seemed as if he was in his usual quiet and dreamy state the people were accustomed to his silence and long since learned that what little time he spent in the settlement was not given to sociability. In the morning he sometimes lay with Colonel Zane's dog, Chief, by the side of a spring under an elm-tree, and in the afternoon strolled aimlessly along the river bluff, or on the hillside. At night he sat on his brother's porch, smoking a long Indian pipe. Since that day now a week passed since he had returned with the stolen horses, his movements and habits were precisely what would have been expected of an unsuspicious borderman. In reality, however, Jonathan was not what he seemed. He knew all that was going on in the settlement. Hardly a bird could have entered the clearing unobserved. At night, after all the villagers were in bed, he stole cautiously about the stockade, silencing with familiar word the bristling watchhounds, and went from barn to barn ending his stealthy tramp at the corral where colonel zane kept his thoroughbreds but all this scouting by night availed nothing no unusual event occurred not even the barking of a dog a suspicious rustling among the thickets or whistling of a night-hawk had been heard vainly the bordermen strained ears to catch some low night signal given by waiting indians to the white trader within the settlement by day there was even less to attract the sharp-eyed watcher the clumsy river-boats half-wrapped half-sawn lumber drifted down the ohio on their first and last voyage discharged the cargoes of grain liquor or merchandise and were broken up their crews came back on the long overland journey to fort pitt there to man another craft the garrison at the fort performed their customary duties the pioneers tilled the fields the blacksmith scattered sparks the wheelwright worked industriously at his bench and the housewives attended to their many cares no strangers arrived at fort henry the quiet life of the village was uninterrupted near sunset of a long day jonathan strolled down the sandy well-trodden path towards metzer's inn he did not drink and consequently seldom visited the rude dark ill-smelling bar-room when occasion demanded his presence there he was evidently not welcome The original owner, a sturdy soldier and pioneer, came to Fort Henry when Colonel Zane founded the settlement, and had been killed during Gertie's last attack. His successor, another Metzer, was, according to Jonathan's belief, as bad as the whiskey he dispensed. More than one murder had been committed at the inn, countless fatal knife and tomahawk fights had stained red the hard clay floor, and more than one desperate character had been harbored there once colonel zane sent wetzel there to invite a thief and outlaw to quit the settlement with the not unexpected result that it became necessary the robber be carried out jonathan thought of the bad name the place bore all over the frontier and wondered if metzer could tell anything about the horse thieves when the borderman bent his tall frame to enter the low studded door he fancied he saw a dark figure disappear into a room just behind the bar a roughly clad, heavily bearded man turned hastily at the same moment. "Hello," he said gruffly. "Sorry, right, Metzer, I just dropped in to see if I could make a trade for your sorrel mare," replied Jonathan, being well aware that the innkeeper would not part with his horse. The borderman had made this announcement as his reason for entering the barroom. "Nope, I'll allow you can't," replied Metzer. As he turned to go, Jonathan's eyes roamed around the barroom. Several strangers of shiftless aspect blurred at him. "'They wouldn't steal a pumpkin,' muttered Jonathan to himself as he left the inn. Then he added suspiciously, "'Metzer was talking to someone, and appeared uneasy. "'I never like Metzer. He'll bear watching.' The borderman passed on down the path thinking of what he had heard against Metzer. The colonel had said that the man was prosperous for an innkeeper who took pelts, grain, or meat in exchange for rum. The village gossips disliked him because he was unmarried, taciturn, and did not care for their company. Jonathan reflected also on the fact that Indians were frequently coming to the inn, and this made him distrustful of the proprietor. It was true that Colonel Zane had red-skinned visitors. But there was always good reason for their coming. Jonathan had seen, during the Revolution, more than one trusted man proven to be a traitor. And the conviction settled upon him that some quiet scouting would show up the innkeeper as aiding the horse thieves, if not actually in league with them. Good evening, Jonathan Zane. This greeting in a woman's clear voice brought Jonathan out from his reveries. He glanced up to see Helen Shepherd standing in the doorway of her father's cabin evening, miss he said with a bow and would have passed on wait she cried and stepped out of the door he waited by the gate which a manner that showed that such a summons was novel to him helen peeked at the curt greeting and asked him to wait without any idea of what she would say coming slowly down the path she felt again a subtle awe of this border man Regretting her impulsiveness, she lost confidence. Gaining the gate, she looked up, intending to speak, but was unable to do so as she saw how cold and grave was his face, and how piercing were his eyes. She flushed slightly, and then, conscious of an embarrassment new and strange to her, blushed rosy red, making as it seemed to her a stupid remark about the sunset. When he took her words literally— and said the sunset was fine. She felt guilty of deceitfulness. Whatever Helen's faults, and—they were many—she was honest, and because of not having looked at the sunset, but only wanting him to see her as did other men, the innocent ruse suddenly appeared mean and trifling. Then, with a the woman's quick intuition, she understood that coqueteries were lost on this borderman, and, with a smile, got the better of her embarrassment and humiliation, by telling the truth. "'I wanted to ask a favor of you, and I'm a little afraid.' She spoke with girlish shyness, which increased as he stared at her. "'Why, why do you look at me so?' "'There's a lake over yonder which the Shawnees say is haunted by a woman they killed,' he replied quietly. "'You'd do for her spirit, so white and beautiful in the silver moonlight.' So my white dress makes me look ghostly," she answered lightly, though deeply conscious of surprise and pleasure, at such an unexpected reply from him. This border man might be full of surprises. Such a time as I had bringing my dresses out here? I don't know when I can wear them. This is the simplest one." "'And it's mighty new and bewilderin for the border,' he replied with a smile in his eyes. When these are gone i'll get no more except lindsay ones she said brightly yet her eyes shone with a wistful uncertainty of the future we be happy here i am happy i have always wanted to be of some use in the world i assure you master zane i am not the butterfly i seem i have worked hard all day that is until your sister betty came over "'All the girls have helped me fix up the cabin until it's more comfortable than I ever dreamed one could be on the frontier. Father's well-content here, and that makes me happy. I haven't had time for forebodings. The young men of Fort Henry have been, well, attentive. In fact, they've been here all the time.' She laughed a little at this last remark, and looked demurely at him. "'It's a frontier custom,' he said. "'Oh, indeed!' Do all the young men call often and stay late?" They do. "'You didn't,' she retorted. "'You're the only one who hasn't been to see me.' "'I do not wait on the girls,' he replied with a grave smile. you don't. Do you expect them to wait on you?' she asked, feeling now she had made this silent man talk, once more at her ease. "'I'm a borderman,' replied Jonathan. There was a certain dignity or sadness in his answer, which reminded Helen of Colonel Zane's portrayal of a borderman's life. It struck her keenly. Here was this young giant, standing erect and handsome before her, as rugged as one of the ash-trees of his beloved forest, who could tell when his strong life might be ended by an Indian's hatchet. "'For you, then, is there no such thing as friendship?' she asked. On the border men are serious. This recalled his sister's conversation regarding the attentions of the young men, that they would follow her, fight for her, and give her absolutely no peace until one of them had carried her to his cabin, a bride. She could not carry on the usual conventional conversation with this borderman, but remained silent for a time. She realized more keenly than ever before how different he was from other men, and watched closely as he stood gazing out over the river. Perhaps something she had said caused him to think of the many pleasures and joys he missed. But she could not be certain what was in his mind. She was not accustomed to impassive faces and cold eyes, with unlit fires in their dark depths. More likely he was thinking of matters nearer to his wild, free life, of his companion Wetzel somewhere out beyond those frowning hills. Then she remembered that the Colonel had told her of his brother's love for nature in all its forms, how he watched the shades of evening fall, lost himself in contemplation of the last copper glow flushing the western sky, or became absorbed in the bright stars. Possibly he had forgotten her presence. Darkness was rapidly stealing down upon them. The evening, tranquil and gray, crept over them with all its mystery. He was a part of it. She could not hope to understand him, but saw clearly that, His was no common personality. She wanted to speak, to voice a sympathy strong within her. But she did not know what to say to this borderman. "'If what your sister tells me of the border is true, I may soon need a friend,' she said, after weighing well her words. She faced him modestly, yet bravely, and looked him straight in the eyes. Because he did not reply, she spoke again. I mean such a friend as you, or Wetzel. You may count on both, he replied. Thank you, she said softly, giving him her hand. I shall not forget. One more thing. Will you break a borderman's custom for my sake? How? Come to see me when you're in the settlement? Helen said this in a low voice, with just a sob in her breath. But she met his gaze fairly. Her big eyes were all aglow, alight with girlish appeal, and yet proud with the woman's honest demand for fair exchange. Promise was there, too, could he but read it, of wonderful possibilities. No, he answered gently. Helen was not prepared for such a rebuff. She was interested in him and not ashamed to show it. She feared only that he might misunderstand her, but to refuse her preferred friendship that was indeed unexpected rude she thought it was while from brow to curving throat her fair skin crimsoned then her face grew pale as the moonlight hard on her resentment had surged the swell of some new emotions strong and sweet he refused her friendship because he did not dare accept it because his life was not his own because he was a borderman while they stood thus jonathan looked perplexed and troubled feeling he had hurt her. But knowing not what to say, and Helen, with a warm softness in her eyes, the stalwart figure of a man loomed out of the gathering darkness. "'Ah, Miss Helen, good evening,' he said. "'Is it you, Mr. Brent?" asked Helen. "'Of course you know Mr. Zane.' Brandt acknowledged Jonathan's bow with an awkwardness which had certainly been absent in his greeting to Helen. He started slightly when she spoke the borderman's name. A brief pause ensued. "'Good night,' said Jonathan, and left them. He had noticed Brant's gesture of surprise, slight though it was, and was thinking about it as he walked away. Brant may have been astonished at finding a borderman talking to a girl, and certainly, as far as Jonathan was concerned, the incident was without precedent. But, on the other hand, Brant may have had another reason, and Jonathan tried to study out what it might be. He gave but little thought to Helen. That she might like him exceedingly well did not come into his mind. He remembered his sister Betty's gossip regarding Helen, and her admirers, and particularly Roger Brandt, but felt no great concern. He had no curiosity to know more of her. He admired Helen, because she was beautiful, yet the feeling was much the same he might have experienced for a graceful deer, a full foliaged tree, or a dark mossy-stoned Bend in a murmuring brook. The girl's face and figure, perfect and alluring as they were, had not awakened him from his indifference. On arriving at his brother's home he found the Colonel and Betty sitting on the porch. Eb? Who is this Brandt? he asked. Roger Brandt? He's a French Canadian, came down here from Detroit a year ago. What do you ask? I want to know more about him. Colonel Zane reflected a moment first, as to this unusual request from Jonathan, and, secondly, in regard to what little he really did know of Roger Brandt. Well, Jack, I can't tell you much—nothing of him before he showed up here. He says he has been a pioneer, hunter, scout, soldier, trader, everything. When he came to the fort we needed men. It was just after a gritty siege, and all the cabins had been burned. Brandt seemed honest and was a good fellow. Besides, he had gold. He started the river barges, which came from Fort Pitt. He surely has done the settlement good service, and has prospered. I never talked a dozen times to him, and even then, not for long. He appears to like the young people, which is only natural. That's all I know. Betty might tell you more, for he tried to be attentive to her. Did he, Betty? Jonathan asked. He followed me until I showed him I didn't care for company, answered Betty. What kind of man is he? jack i know nothing against him although i never fancied him he's better educated than the majority of frontiersmen he's good-natured and agreeable and the people like him why don't you betty looked surprised at his blunt question and then said with a laugh i never tried to reason why but since you have spoken i believe my dislike was instinctive after betty had retired to her room The brothers remained on the porch, smoking. "'Betty's pretty keen, Jack. I never knew her to misjudge a man. Why this sudden interest in Roger Brandt?' The borderman puffed his pipe in silence. Eh, Jack,' Colonel Zane said suddenly, "'do you connect Brandt in any way with this horse-stealing?' "'No more than some, and less than others,' replied Jonathan curtly nothing more was said for a time to the brothers this hour of early dusk brought the same fullness of peace from gray twilight to gloomy dusk quiet reigned the insects of night chirped and chorused with low incessant hum from out of the darkness came the peeping of frogs suddenly the borderman straightened up and removing the pipe from his mouth turned his ear to the faint breeze while at the same time one hand closed on the colonel's knee with a warning clutch colonel zane knew what that clutch signified some faint noise too low for ordinary ears had roused the borderman the colonel listened but heard nothing save the familiar evening sounds jack what'd you hear he whispered something back of the barn replied jonathan slipping noiselessly off the steps lying at full length with his ear close to the ground where's the dog he asked Chief must have gone with Sam, That old negro sometimes goes at this hour to see his daughter." Jonathan lay on the grass several moments, then suddenly he rose much as a bent sapling springs to place. "'I hear footsteps. Get the rifles,' he said in a fierce whisper. "'Damn! There is someone in the barn.' "'No, they're outside. Hurry, but softly.' Colonel Zane had but just risen to his feet when Mrs. Zane came to the door and called him by name. Instantly, from somewhere in the darkness overhanging the road, came a low warning whistle—a signal! Exclaimed Colonel Zane. Quick, Eb, look towards Metzer's light. One, two, three shadows—engines! By the Lord, Harry! Now they're gone, but I couldn't mistake those round heads and bristling feathers. Shawnees," said the borderman, and his teeth shut hard like steel on flint. "'Jack, they were after the horses, and someone was on the lookout. My God, right under our noses!' "'Hurry!' cried Jonathan, pulling his brother off the porch. Colonel Zane followed the borderman out of the yard into the road and across the grassy square. "'We might find the one who gave that signal,' said the Colonel. He was near at hand and couldn't have passed the house. Colonel Zane was correct, for whoever had whistled would be forced to take one of two ways to escape either down the straight road ahead or over the high stockade fence of the fort there he goes whispered jonathan where i can't see a blamed thing go across the square run around the fort and head him off on the road don't try to stop him for he'll have weapons just find out who he is i see him now replied colonel zane as he hurried off into the darkness during a few moments jonathan kept in view the shadow he had seen first come out of the gloom by the stockade and thence passed swiftly down the road he followed swiftly silently presently a light beyond threw a glare across the road he thought he was approaching a yard where there was a fire and the flames proved to be from pine cones burning in the yard of helen shepherd he remembered then that she was entertaining some of the young people the figure he was pursuing did not pass the glare jonathan made certain it disappeared before reaching the light and he knew his eyesight too well not to trust it absolutely Advancing nearer the yard, he heard the murmur of voices in gay conversation, and soon saw figures moving about under the trees. No doubt was in his mind, but that the man who gave the signal to warn the Indians was one of Helen Shepard's guests. Jonathan had walked across the street, then down the path, before he saw the colonel coming from the opposite direction. Halting under a maple, he waited for his brother to approach. "'I didn't meet anyone. Did you lose him?' whispered Colonel Zane breathlessly. No, he's in there. That's Shepherd's place. Do you mean he's hiding there? No. Colonel Zane swore, as was his habit when exasperated. Kind and generous man that he was, it went hard with him to believe in the guilt of any of the young men he had trusted. But Jonathan had said there was a traitor among them. And Colonel Zane did not question this assertion. He knew the bordermen during years full of strife and war and blood had lived beside this silent man who said little but that little was the truth before colonel zane gave way to anger well i'm not so damned surprised what's to be done find out what men are there that's easy i'll go see george and soon have the truth won't do said the borderman decisively go back to the barn look after the horses when colonel zane had obeyed jonathan dropped to his hands and knees and swiftly with the agile movements of an indian gained a corner of the shepherd yard he crouched in the shade of a big plum-tree then at a favorable opportunity vaulted the fence and disappeared under a clump of lilac bushes the evening wore away no more tediously to the bordermen than to those young frontiersmen who were whispering tender or playful words to their partners time and patience were the same to Jonathan Zane. He lay hidden under the fragrant logs, his eyes accustomed to the dark from long practice, losing no movement of the guests. Finally it became evident that the party was at an end. One couple took the initiative and said good-night to their hostess. "'Tom Bennett, I hope it's not you,' whispered the borderman to himself, as he recognized the young fellow. A general movement followed until the merry party were assembled about helen near the front gate jim morrison i'll bet it's not you was jonathan's comment that soldier williams is doubtful hart and johnson being strangers are unknown quantities around here and then comes brant all departed except brant who remained talking to helen in low earnest tones jonathan lay very quietly trying to decide what should be his next move in the unraveling of the mystery He paid little attention to the young couple, but could not help overhearing their conversation. "'Indeed, Mr. Brandt, you frontiersmen are not backward,' Helen was saying in her clear voice. "'I am surprised to learn that you love me upon such short acquaintance. And I'm sorry, too, for I hardly know whether I even so much as like you—' "'I love you. We men on the border do things rapidly,' he replied earnestly. "'So it seems,' she said with a soft laugh. "'Won't you care for me?' he pleaded. "'Nothing is surer than that I never know what I am going to do,' Helen replied lightly. "'All these fellows are in love with you. They can't help it any more than I. You are the most glorious creature. Please give me hope.' "'Mr. Brandt let go of my hand. I'm afraid I don't like such impulsive men.' "'Please let me hold your hand.' "'Certainly not. "'But I will hold it, and if you look at me like that again, I'll do more,' he said. "'What bold, Sir Frontiersman?' She returned lightly still, but in a voice which rang with a deeper note. "'I'll kiss you,' he cried desperately. "'You wouldn't dare. "'Wouldn't I, though? "'You don't know us border-fellows yet. "'You come here with that wonderful beauty and smile at us with that light in your eyes?' Which makes men mad. Oh, you'll pay for it. The borderman listened to all this love making half disgusted, until he began to grow interested. Brant's back was turned to him, and Helen stood so that the light in the pine cone shone on her face. Her eyes were brilliant. Otherwise she seemed a woman perfectly self possessed. Brant held her hand despite the repeated efforts she made to free it. But she did not struggle violently or make an outcry. Suddenly, Brant grasped her other hand, pulling her toward him. "'These other fellows will kiss you. "'And I'm going to be the first, he declared passionately. "'Helen drew back, now thoroughly alarmed by the man's fierce energy. "'She had been warned against his very boldness in frontiersmen, "'but had felt secure in her own pride and dignity. "'Her blood boiled at the thought that she must exert strength to escape insult. "'She struggled violently. "'When Brandt bent his head—' almost sick with fear she had determined to call for help when a violent wrench almost toppled her over at the same instant her wrists were freed she heard a fierce cry a resounding blow and then the sudden thud of a heavy body falling recovering her balance, she saw a tall figure beside her and a man in the act of rising from the ground you whispered helen recognizing the tall figure as jonathan's the borderman did not answer he stepped forward, slipping his hand inside his hunting frock. Brant sprang nimbly to his feet and with a face which, even in the dim light, could be seen distorted with fury, bent forward to look at the stranger. He too had his hand within his coat as if grasping a weapon, but he did not draw it, saying a lighter blow would have been easier to forget. He cried, his voice clear and cutting. then he turned to the girl, Miss Helen. I got what I deserve. I crave your forgiveness, and ask you to understand a man who was once a gentleman. If I am one no longer, the frontier is to blame. I was mad to treat you as I did." Thus speaking, he bowed low with the grace of a man sometimes used to the Society of Ladies, and then went out of the gate. "'Where did you come from?' asked Helen, looking up at Jonathan. He pointed under the lilac bushes were you there she asked wonderingly did you hear all i couldn't help her it was fortunate for me but why why were you there helen came a step nearer and regarded him curiously with her great eyes now black with excitement the borderman was silent helen's softened mood changed instantly there was nothing in his cold face which might have betrayed him a sentiment similar to that of her admirers you spy on me she asked quickly after a moment's thought no replied jonathan calmly ellen gazed in perplexity at this strange man she did not know how to explain it she was irritated but did her best to conceal it he had no interest in her yet had hidden under the lilacs in her yard she was grateful because he had saved her from annoyance yet could not fathom his reason for being so near Did you come here to see me she asked forgetting her vexation no what for then i reckon i won't say was the quiet deliberate refusal helen stamped her foot in exasperation be careful that i do not put a wrong construction on your strange action she said coldly if you have reasons you might trust me if you are only shh he breathed grasping a wrist and holding it firmly in his powerful hand. The whole attitude of the man altered swiftly, subtly. The listlessness was gone. His lithe body became rigid as he leaned forward, his head toward the ground, and turned slightly, in a manner that betokened intent listening. Helen trembled as she felt his powerful frame quiver. Whatever had thus changed him gave her another glimpse of his complex personality. It seemed to her incredible that, with one whispered exclamation, This man could change from cold indifference to a fire and force so strong as to dominate her. Statue-like, she remained listening, but hearing no sound, and thrillingly conscious of the hand on her arm. Far up on the hillside an owl hooted dismally, and an instant later, faint and far away, came an answer so low as to be almost indistinct. The borderman raised himself erect as he released her. "'It's only an owl,' she said in relief her eyes gleamed like stars it's wetzel and it means engines then he was gone into the darkness
2: end of chapter four
1: chapter five of the last trail this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Grey, chapter 5. In the misty morning twilight, Colonel Zane, fully armed, paced to and fro before his cabin on guard. All night he had maintained a watch he had not considered it necessary to send his family into the fort to which they had often been compelled to flee on the previous night jonathan had come swiftly back to the cabin and speaking but two words seized his weapons and vanished into the black night the words were injuns wetzel and there were none others with more power to affect hearers on the border the colonel believed that wetzel had signaled to jonathan on the west a deep gully with precipitous sides separated the settlement from a high wooded bluff wetzel often returned from his journeying by this difficult route he had no doubt seen indian signs and had communicated the intelligence to jonathan by their system of nightbird calls the nearness of the mighty hunter reassured colonel zane when the colonel returned from his chase of the previous night he went directly into the stable there to find that the indians had made off with the thoroughbred and betty's pony colonel zane was furious not on account of the value of the horses but because bess was his favorite bay and betty loved nothing more than her pony madcap to have such a march stolen on him after he had seen and heard the thieves was indeed hard high time it was that these horse thieves be run to earth no indian had planned these marauding expeditions An intelligent white man was at the bottom of the thieving, and he should pay for his treachery. The colonel's temper, however, soon cooled. He realized, after thinking over the matter, that he was fortunate it passed off without bloodshed. Very likely the intent had been to get all his horses, perhaps his neighbors as well, and it had been partly frustrated by Jonathan's keen sagacity. These Shawnees, white leader or not, would never again run such risks. It's like a sulking Shawnee, muttered Colonel Zane, to slip down here under cover of early dusk when no one but an Indian hunter could detect him. I didn't look for trouble, especially so soon after the lesson we gave Gertie and his damned English and Redskins. It's lucky Jonathan was here. I'll go back to the old plan of stationing scouts at the outposts until snow flies. While Colonel Zane talked to himself and paced the path he had selected to patrol, The white mist cleared, and a rosy hue followed the brightening in the east. The birds ceased twittering to break into gay songs, and the cock in the barnyard gave one final clarion-voiced salute to the dawn. The rose in the east deepened into rich red, and then the sun peeped over the eastern hilltops to drench the valley with glad golden light. A blue smoke curling lazily from the stone chimney of his cabin showed that Sam had made the kitchen fire, and a little later a rich, savory odor gave pleasing evidence that his wife was cooking breakfast. "'Any sign of Jack?' a voice called from the open door, and Betty appeared. "'Nary sign.' "'Of the Indians, then?' "'Well, Betts, they left you a token of the regard.' And Colonel Zane smiled as he took a broken halter from the fence madcap cried betty yes they taken madcap and Bess. oh the villain's poor pony exclaimed betty indignantly yep i'll coax wetzel to fetch the pony home if he has to kill every shawnee in the valley now you're talking bets colonel zane replied if you could get lou to do that much you'd be blessed from one end of the border to the other He walked up the road, then back, keeping a sharp lookout on all sides, and bestowing a particularly keen glance at the hillside across the ravine, but could see no sign of the bordermen. As it was now broad daylight, he felt convinced that further watch was unnecessary, and went to breakfast. When he came out again, the villagers were astir. The sharp strokes of axes rang out on the clear morning air, and a mellow anvil-clang pealed up from the blacksmith's shop colonel zane found his brother silas and jim downs near the gate mornin boys said cheerily any glimpse of jack or lou asked silas no but i'm expecting one of em any moment how about the indians asked duns silas roused me out last night but didn't stay long enough to say more than indians i don't know much more than silas i saw several of the red devils who stole the horses but how many, where they've gone, or what we're to expect, I can't say. We've got to wait for Jack or Lou. Silas, keep the garrison in readiness at the fort, and don't allow a man, soldier, or farmer to leave the clearing until further orders. Perhaps there were only three of those Shawnees, and then again, the woods might have been full of them. I take it something's amiss, or Jack and Lou would be in by now. Here comes Shepherd and his girl said Silas, pointing down the lane. Pier's George is some excited. Colonel Zane had much the same idea as he saw Shepherd and his daughter. The old man appeared in a hurry, which was sufficient reason to believe him anxious or alarmed, and Helen looked pale. "Ebenezer, yeah, what's this I hear about Indians? Shepherd asked excitedly. What with Helen's story about the fort being besieged, and this brother of yours routing honest people from their beds? i haven't had a wink of sleep what's up where are the redskins now george be easy said colonel zane calmly and you helen mustn't be frightened there's no danger we did have a visit from indians last night but they hurt no one and got only two horses oh i'm so relieved that it's not worse said helen it's bad enough helen betty cried her black eyes flashing my pony madcap is gone "'Colonel Zane, come here quick!' cried Downs, who stood near the gate. With one leap, Colonel Zane was at the gate, and following with his eyes the direction indicated by Downs' trembling finger, he saw two tall brown figures striding down the lane. One carried two rifles, and the other a long bundle wrapped in a blanket. "'It's Jack and Wetzel,' whispered Colonel Zane to Jim. "'They've got the girl, and by God, from the way that bundle hangs!' i think she's dead here he added speaking loudly you women get into the house mrs zane betty and helen started go into the house he cried authoritatively without a protest the three women obeyed at that moment nelly downs came across the lane sam shuffled out from the back yard and shepherd arose from his seat on the steps they joined colonel zane silas and jim at the gate i wondered what kept you so late Colonel Zane said to Jonathan, as he and his companion came up, "'You've fetched Mabel, and she's—' The good man could say no more. If he should live a hundred years on the border amid savage murderers, he would still be tender-hearted. Just now he believed the giant borderman by the side of Jonathan held a dead girl, one whom he had danced when a child upon his knee. "'Mabel, and just alive,' replied Jonathan, "'By god i'm glad exclaimed colonel zane here lou give her to me wetzel relinquished his burden to the colonel lou any bad engine sign asked colonel zane as he turned to go into the house the borderman shook his head wait for me added the colonel he carried the girl into that apartment in the cabin which served the purpose of a sitting-room and laid her on the couch He gently removed the folds of the blanket, disclosing to view a white-faced, fragile girl. "'Bess, hurry, hurry!' he screamed to his wife, and, as she came running in, followed no less hurriedly by Betty, Helen, and Nellie, he continued, "'Here's Mabel Lane, alive, poor child, but in sore need of help. First, see whether she has any bodily injury. If a bullet must be cut out or a knife wound sewed up, it's better she remained unconscious. Betty!' Run for Bess's instruments and bring brandy and water. Lively now. Then he gave vent to an oath and left the room. Helen, her heart throbbing wildly, went to the side of Mrs. Zane, who was kneeling by the couch. She saw a delicate girl, not over eighteen years old, with a face that would have been beautiful, but for the set lips, the closed eyelids, and an expression of intense pain. Oh, oh, breathe, Helen. Nell hand me the scissors said mrs zane and help me take off this dress why it's wet but thank goodness tis not with blood i know that slippery touch too well there that's right betty give me a spoonful of brandy now heat a blanket and get one of your lindsay gowns for this poor child helen watched mrs zane as if fascinated the colonel's wife continued to talk while with deft fingers she forced a few drops of brandy between the girl's closed teeth. Then, with the adroitness of a skilled surgeon, she made the examination. Helen had heard of this pioneer woman's skill in setting broken bones and treating injuries, and when she looked from the calm face to the steady fingers, she had no doubt as to the truth of what had been told. "'Neither bullet wound, cut, bruise, nor broken bone,' said Mrs. Zane. "'It's fear, starvation, and the terrible shock.' she rubbed mabel's hands while gazing at her pale face then she forced more brandy between the tightly closed lips she was rewarded by ever so faint a color tinging the wan cheeks, to be followed by a fluttering of the eyelids then the eyes opened wide they were large soft dark and humid with agony helen could not bear their gaze she saw the shadow of death and of worse than death she looked away while in her heart rose a storm of passionate fury at the brutes who had made this tender girl a wreck. The room was full of women now, sober-faced matrons and grave-eyed girls, yet all wore the same expression, not alone of anger, nor fear, nor pity, but of all combined. Helen instinctively felt that this was one of the trials of border endurance, and she knew from the sterner faces of the maturer women that such a trial was familiar. Despite all she had been told, the shock and pain were too great, and she went out of the room sobbing. She almost fell over the broad back of Jonathan Zane, who was sitting on the steps. Near him stood Colonel Zane, talking with a tall man clad in faded buckskin. "Lass, you shouldn't have stayed,' said Colonel Zane kindly. "'It's hurt me here,' said Helen, placing her hand over her heart yes i know i know of course it has he replied taking her hand but be brave helen bear up bear up oh this border is a stern place do not think of that poor girl come let me introduce jonathan's friend wetzel helen looked up and held out her hand she saw a very tall man with extremely broad shoulders a mass of raven black hair and a white face He stepped forward and took her hand in his huge, horny palm. Pressing it, he stepped back without speaking. Colonel Zane talked to her in a soothing voice, but she failed to hear what he said. This Wetzel, this Indian hunter whom she had heard called Death Wind of the Border, this companion, guide, teacher of Jonathan Zane, this Borderman of wonderful deeds, stood before her. Helen saw a cold face, deathly in its pallor lighted by eyes slow black but like glinting steel striking as were those features they failed to fascinate as did the strange tracing which apparently showed through the white drawn skin this first repelled then drew her with wonderful force suffering of fire and frost and iron was written there and stronger than all so potent as to cause fear could be read the terrible purpose of this man's tragic life You avenged her. Oh, I know you did, cried Helen, her whole heart leaping with a blaze to her eyes. She was answered by a smile, but such a smile. Kindly it broke over the stern face, giving a glimpse of a heart still warm beneath that steely cold. Behind it, too, there was something fateful, something deadly. Helen knew, though the borderman spoke not that somewhere among the grasses of the broad plains, or on the moss of the wooded hills, lay dead the perpetrators of this outrage, their still faces bearing the ghastly stamp of death-wind. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 of The Last Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY MIKE VENDETTI MIKEVENDETTI.COM THE LAST TRAIL BY ZANE GRAY CHAPTER Six. Happier days than she had hoped for, dawned upon Helen after the first touch of border sorrow. Mabel Lane did not die, Helen and Betty nursed the stricken girl tenderly, weeping for every joy when signs of improvement appeared she had remained silent for several days always with that haunting fear in her eyes and then gradually came a change tender care and nursing had due effect in banishing the dark shadow one morning after a long sleep she awakened with a bright smile and from that time her improvement was rapid helen wanted mabel to live with her the girl's position was pitiable homeless fatherless with not a relative on the border, yet so brave, so patient, that she aroused all the sympathy in Helen's breast. Village gossip was in substance that Mabel had given her love to a young frontiersman by name Alex Bennett, who had an affection for her, so it was said, but as yet had made no choice between her and the other lasses of the settlement. What effect Mabel's terrible experience might have on this lukewarm lover? helen could not even guess but she was not hopeful as to the future colonel zane and betty approved of helen's plan to persuade mabel to live with her and the latter's faint protestations they silenced by claiming she could be of great assistance in the management of the house therefore it was settled finally the day came when mabel was ready to go with helen betty had given her a generous supply of clothing for all her belongings had been destroyed when the cabin was burned with helen's strong young arm around her she voiced her gratitude to betty and mrs zane and started toward the shepherd home from the green square where the ground was highest an unobstructed view could be had of the valley mabel gazed down the river to where her home formerly stood only a faint dark spot like a blur on the green landscape, could be seen. Her soft eyes filled with tears, but she spoke no word. "'She's game, and that's why she didn't go under,' Colonel Zane said to himself, as he mused on the strength and spirit of border women. To their heroism, more than any other thing, he attributed the establishing of homes in this wilderness. In the days that ensued, as Mabel grew stronger, The girls became very fond of each other. Helen would have been happy at any time with such a sweet companion, but just then, when the poor girl's mind was so sorely disturbed, she was doubly glad. For several days, after Mabel was out of danger, Helen's thoughts had dwelt on a subject which caused extreme vexation. She had begun to suspect that she encouraged too many admirers for whom she did not care and thought too much of a man who did not reciprocate she was gay and moody in turn during the moody hours she suspected herself and in her gay ones scorned the idea that she might ever care for a man who was indifferent but that thought once admitted had a trick of returning at odd moments clouding her cheerful moods one sunshiny morning while the mayflowers smiled under the hedge when dew sparkled on the leaves and the locust blossoms shone creamy white amid the soft green of the trees the girls set about their much-planned flower-gardening helen was passionately fond of plants and had brought a jar of seeds of her favorites all the way from her eastern home we'll plant the morning-glories so they'll run up the porch and the dahlias in this long row and the nasturtiums in the round bed helen said you will have some trailing arbutus." added mabel and must have clematis, wild honeysuckle and golden glow for they are all sweet flowers this arbitress is so fresh so dewy so fragrant said helen bending aside a lilac bush to see the pale creeping flowers i never saw anything so beautiful i grow more and more in love with my new home and friends i have such a pretty garden to look into and i never tire of the view beyond helen gazed with pleasure and pride at the garden with its fresh green and lavender crested lilacs at the white-blossomed trees and the vine-covered log cabins with blue smoke curling from their stone chimneys beyond the great bulk of the fort stood guard above the willow skirted river and far away over the winding stream the dark hills defiant kept their secrets if it weren't for that threatening fort one could imagine this little hamlet nestling under the great bluff as quiet and secure as it is beautiful said helen But that charred stockade fence, with its scarred bastions and these lowering portholes, always keep me alive to reality. "'It wasn't very quiet when Gertie was here,' Mabel replied thoughtfully. "'Were you in the fort, then?' asked Helen breathlessly. "'Oh, yes. I cooled the rifles for the men,' replied Mabel calmly. "'Tell me all about it.' Helen listened again to a story she had heard many times, but told by new lips. It always gained in vivid interest she never tired of hearing how the notorious renegade gertie rode around the fort on his white horse giving the defenders an hour in which to surrender she learned again of the attack when the british soldiers remained silent on an adjoining hillside while the indians yelled exultantly and ran about in fiendish glee when wetzel began the battle by shooting an indian chieftain who had ventured within range of his ever fatal rifle and when it came to the heroic deeds of the memorable siege helen could not contain her enthusiasm she shed tears over little harry bennett's death at the south bastion where though riddled with bullets he stuck to his post until relieved clark's race across the roof of the fort to extinguish a burning arrow she applauded with clapping hands her great eyes glowed and burned but she was silent when hearing how ran alone to a break in the stockade and there with an axe the terrible borderman held at bay the whole infuriated indian mob until the breach was closed lastly betty zanes never to be forgotten run with the powder to the relief of the garrison and the saving of the fort was something not to cry over or applaud but to dream of and to glorify Down the slope from Colonel Zane's cabin is where Betty ran with the powder, said Mabel pointing. Did you see her? asked Helen. Yes, I looked out of a porthole. The Indians stopped firing at the fort, in their eagerness to shoot Betty. Oh, the banging of guns and yelling of savages was one fearful, dreadful roar. Through all that hail of bullets, Betty ran swift as the wind. I almost wish Gertie would come again, said Helen. Don't he might how long has betty's husband mr clark been dead inquired helen i don't remember exactly he didn't live long after the siege some say he inhaled the flames while fighting fire inside the stockade how sad yes it was it nearly killed betty but we border girls do not give up easily we must not replied Mabel, an unquenchable spirit showing through the sadness of her eyes Merry voices interrupted them, and they turned to see Betty and Nell entering the gate. With Nell's bright chatter and Betty's wit, the conversation became, indeed, vivacious, running from gossip to gowns and then to that old and ever-new theme—love. Shortly afterward, the colonel entered the gate, with swinging step and genial smile. "'Well, now—' "'If here aren't four handsome lasses,' he said with an admiring glance, Eb, i believe if you were single any girl might well suspect you of being a flirt said betty no girl ever did i tell you i was a lady-killer in my day replied colonel zane straightening his fine form he was indeed handsome with his stalwart frame dark bronzed face and rugged manly bearing "Bess said you were but that it didn't last long after you saw her cried betty mischief gleaming in her dark eye well that's so replied the colonel looking a trifle crestfallen but you know every dog has his day then advancing to the porch he looked at mabel with a more serious gaze as he asked how are you today thank you colonel zane i'm getting quite strong look up the valley there's a raft coming down the river said he softly Far up the broad Ohio, a square patch showed dark against the green water. Colonel Zane saw Mabel start, and a dark red flush came over her pale face. For an instant she gazed with an expression of appeal, almost fear. He knew the reason. Alex Bennett was on the raft. I came over to ask if I can be of any service. "'Tell him,' she answered simply. "'I say, Betts,' Colonel Zane cried. "'Has Helen's cousin cast any more such uh, sheep-eyes on you?' "'Oh, Em, what nonsense!' exclaimed Betty, blushing furiously. "'Well, if he didn't look sweet at you, I'm an old fool.' "'You're one, anyway.' "'And you're horrid,' said Betty, tears of anger glistening in her eyes." Colonel Zane whistled softly as he walked down the lane. He went into the wheelwright's shop to see about some repairs he was having made on the wagon, and then strolled on down to the river. Two Indians were sitting on the rude long wharf, together with several frontiersmen and rivermen, all waiting for the raft. He conversed with the Indians, who were friendly Chippewas, until the raft was tied up. The first person to leap on shore was a sturdy young fellow with a shock of yellow hair and a warm, ruddy skin. "'Hello, Alex. Did you have a good trip?' asked Colonel Zane of the youth. "'How are you, Colonel Zane? Yes, first-rate trip.' replied young bennett say i've a word for you come aside and drawing colonel zane out of earshot of the others he continued i heard this by accident not that i didn't spy a bit when i got interested for i did but the way it came about was all chance briefly there's a man evidently an englishman at fort pitt whom i overheard say he was out on the border after a shepherd girl i happened to hear from one of brant's men who rode into Pitts just before we left, that you had new friends here by that name. This fellow was a handsome chap, no common sort, but lordly, dissipated and reckless, as the devil. He had a servant traveling with him, a sailor by his gab, who was about the toughest customer I've met in many a day. He cut a fellow in bad shape at Pitt. Those two will be on the next boat, due here in a day or so according to river and weather conditions, and, I thought, considering how unusual the thing was, I would better tell you. "'Well, well,' said Colonel Zane reflectively. He recalled Shepherd's talk about an Englishman. "'Alex, you did well to tell me. Was the man drunk when he said he came west after a woman?' "'Sure he was,' replied Alex, "'but not when he spoke the name. "'You see,' i got suspicious and asked him it's this way jake wentz the trader told me the fellow asked for the shepherds when he got off the wagon train when i first seen him he was drunk and i heard jeff lynn say as how the border was a bad place to come after a woman that's what made me prick up my ears then the englishman said it is eh by god i'd go to hell after a woman i wanted and colonel he looked it too colonel zane remained thoughtful while alex made up a bundle and forced the heft of an axe under the string but as the young man started away the colonel suddenly remembered his errand down to the wharf alex come back here he said and wondered if the lad had good stuff in him the boatman's face was plain but not evil and a close scrutiny of it rather prepossessed the colonel "'Alex, I've some bad news for you,' and then bluntly, with his keen gaze fastened on the young man's face, he told of old Lane's murder, of Mabel's abduction, and of her rescue by Wetzel. Alex began to curse and swear vengeance. "'Stow all that,' said the colonel sharply. Wetzel followed four Indians who had Mabel and some stolen horses. The Redskins quarreled over the girl, and two took the horses. Leaving Mabel to the others, Wetzel went after these last, tomahawked them, and brought Mabel home. She was in a bad way, but is now getting over the shock. "'Say, what'd we do here without Wetzel?' Alex asked huskily, unmindful of the tears that streamed from his eyes and ran over his brown cheeks. Poor old Jake! Poor Mabel! Damn me! It's my fault. If I'd a done right and married her as I should—as I wanted to—' she wouldn't have had to suffer but i'll marry her yet if she'll have me it was only because i had no farm no stock and only that little cabin as is full now that i waited alex you know me said colonel zane in kindly tones look there down the clearing half a mile to that green strip of land along the river with the big chestnut in the middle and a cabin beyond there's as fine farming land as can be found on the border eighty acres well watered the day you marry mabel that farm is yours alex grew red stammered and vainly tried to express his gratitude come along the sooner you tell mabel the better said the colonel with glowing face he was a good matchmaker he derived more pleasure from a little charity bestowed upon a deserving person than from a season's crops When they arrived at the Shepherd house, the girls were still on the porch. Mabel rose when she saw Alex, standing white and still. He, poor fellow, was embarrassed by the others who regarded him with steady eyes. Colonel Zane pushed Alex up on the porch and said in a low voice, Mabel, I've just arranged something you're to give to Alex. It's a nice little farm, and it'll be a wedding present mabel looked in a bewildered manner from colonel zane's happy face to the girl's and then at the red joyous features of her lover only then did she understand and uttering a strange little cry put her trembling hands to her bosom as she swayed to and fro but she did not fall for alex quick at the last leapt forward and caught her in his arms that evening helen denied herself to mr brant and several other callers. She sat on the porch with her father while he smoked his pipe. "'Where's Will?' she asked. "'Gone after Snipe,' so he said, replied her father. "'Snipe! How funny! Imagine Will hunting. He's surely catching the wild fever Colonel Zane told us about. He surely is.' Then came a time of silence. Mr. Shepard, accustomed to Helen's Gladstone spirit and prosperity to gay chatter, noted how quiet she was, and wondered. Why are you so still? I'm a little homesick, Helen replied reluctantly. No. Well, I declare, this is a glorious country, but not for such as you, dear, who love music and gaiety. I often fear you'll not be happy here, and then I long for the old home, which reminds me of your mother. Dearest, Forget what I said, cried Helen earnestly. I'm only a little blue today, perhaps not at all homesick. Indeed, you always seemed happy. Father, I am happy. It's only only a girl's foolish sentiment. I've got something to tell you, Helen, and it has bothered me since Colonel Zane spoke of it tonight. Mordaunt is coming to Fort Henry. Mordaunt, oh, possible who said so how did you learn i fear tis true my dear colonel zane told me he had heard of an englishman at fort pitt who asked after us moreover the feller answers the description of mordaunt i am afraid it is he and come after you suppose he has who cares we owe him nothing he cannot hurt us but helen he's a desperate man aren't you afraid of him not i cried Helen, laughing in scorn. He'd better have a care. He can't run things with a high hand out here on the border. I told him I would have none of him, and that ended it. I'm much relieved. I didn't want to tell you, but it seemed necessary. Well, child, good night. I'll go to bed. Long after Mr. Shepherd had retired, Helen sat thinking, memories of the past and of the unwelcome suitor or daunt thronged upon her thick and fast. She could see him now, with his pale, handsome face and distinguished bearing. She had liked him, as she had other men, until he involved her father with himself in financial ruin, and had made his attention to her unpleasantly persistent. Then he had followed the fall of fortune with wild dissipation, and became a gambler and a drunkard. But he did not desist in his mad wooing he became like her shadow and life grew to be unendurable until her father planned to emigrate west when she hailed the news with joy and now mordaunt had tracked her to her new home she was sick with disgust then her spirit always strong and now freer for this new wild life of the frontier rose within her and she dismissed all thoughts of this man and his passion The old life was dead and buried she was going to be happy here as for the present it was enough to think of the little border village now her home of her girlfriends of the quiet bordermen, and for the moment that the twilight was somber and beautiful high up on the wooded bluff rising so gloomily over the village she saw among the trees something silver bright she watched it rise slowly from behind the trees now hidden now white through rifts in the foliage, until it soared lovely and grand above the black horizon. The ebony shadows of night seemed to lift, as might a sable mantle moved by invisible hands, but dark shadows, safe from the moon-rays, lay under the trees, and a pale, misty vapor hung below the brow of the bluff. Mysterious as had grown the night before darkness yielded to the moon this pale white light flooding the still valley was even more soft and strange to one of helen's temperament no thought was needed to see was enough yet her mind was active she felt with haunting power the beauty of all before her in fancy transporting herself far to those silver-tipped clouds and peopling the dells and shady nooks under the hills with spirits and fairies maidens and valiant knights to her the day was as a far-off dream the great watch-stars grew wan before the radiant moon it reigned alone the immensity of the world with its glimmering rivers pensive valleys and deep gloomy forests lay revealed under the glory of the clear light absorbed in this contemplation helen remained a long time gazing with dreamy ecstasy at the moonlit valley, until a slight chill disturbed her happy thoughts. She knew she was not alone. Trembling, she stood up to see, easily recognizable in the moonlight, the tall, buckskin-garbed figure of Jonathan Zane. "'Well, sir,' she called sharply, yet with a tremor in her voice. The borderman came forward and stood in front of her. Somehow he appeared changed, the long black rifle, the dull, glinting weapons made her shudder wilder and more untamable he looked than ever the very silence of the forest clung to him the fragrance of the grassy plains came faintly from his buckskin garments evenin lass he said in his slow cool manner how did you get here asked helen presently because he made no effort to explain his presence at such a late hour i was able to walk Helen observed with a vaulting spirit, whenever ready to rise in arms, that Master Zane was disposed to add humor to his penetrating mysteriousness. She flushed hot, and then paled. This borderman certainly possessed the power to vex her, and, reluctantly, she admitted, to chill her soul and rouse her fear. She strove to keep back sharp words, because she had learned that this singular individual always gave good reason for his odd actions. "'I think in kindness to me,' she said, choosing her words carefully. "'You might tell me why you appear so suddenly, as if you had sprung out of the ground.' "'Are you alone?' "'Yes. father's in bed. So is Mabel. And Will has not yet come home. Why?' "'Has no one else been here?' Mr. Brandt came, as did some others, but wishing to be alone. I did not see them, replied Helen in perplexity. Have you seen Brandt since? Since when? The night I watched by the lilac bush. Yes, several times, replied Helen. Something in his tone made her ashamed. I couldn't very well escape when he called. Are you surprised, because after he insulted me, I'd see him again? Yes. Helen felt more ashamed. "'You don't love him,' he continued. Helen was so surprised she could only look into the dark face above her. Then she dropped her gaze, abashed by his searching eyes. But thinking of his question, she subdued the vague stirrings of pleasure in her breast and answered coldly, "'No, I do not. But for the service you rendered me, I should never have answered such a question.' "'I'm glad.' and hope you care as little for the other five men who were here that night. I declare, Master Zane, you seem exceedingly interested in the affairs of a young woman who you won't visit except as you have come to-night. He looked at her with his piercing eyes. You spied upon my guest, she said, in no wise abashed now that her temper was high. Did you care so very much? Care? he asked slowly. Yes. You were interested to know how many of my admirers were here, what they did, and what they said. You even hint disparagingly of them." "'True. I wanted to know,' he replied. "'But I don't hint about any man.' "'You are so interested you wouldn't call on me when I invited you,' said Helen, with poorly-veiled sarcasm. It was this that made her bitter. She could never forget—' that she had asked this man to come to see her, and he had refused. "'I reckon you've mistook me,' he said calmly. "'Why did you come? Why do you shadow my friends? This is twice you have done it. Goodness knows how many times you've been here. Tell me.' The borderman remained silent. "'Answer me!' commanded Helen, her eyes blazing. She actually stamped her foot. "'Borderman or not, you have no right to pry into my affairs. If you are a gentleman, tell me why you came here." The eyes Jonathan turned on Helen stilled all the angry throbbing of her blood. I came here to learn which of your lovers is the dastard who plotted the abduction of Mabel Lane and the thief who stole our hosses. When I find the villain I reckon Wetzel and I'll swing him to some tree. The borderman's voice rang sharp and cold, and when he ceased speaking, she sank back upon the step, shocked, speechless, to gaze up at him with staring eyes. "'Don't look so, lass. Don't be frightened,' he said, his voice gentle and kind as it had been hard. He took her hand in his. "'You nettled me into replying, and you have a sharp tongue, lass, and when I spoke I was thinking of him.' I'm sorry." A horse thief and worse than murderer among my friends, murmured Helen, shuddering. Yet she never thought to doubt his word. I followed him here the night of your company. Do you know which one? No. He still held her hand unconsciously, but Helen knew it well. A sense of his strength came with the warm pressure and comforted her. She would need that powerful hand, surely, in the evil days which seemed to darken her horizon. "'What shall I do?' she whispered, shuddering again. "'Keep this secret between you and me.' "'How can I? How can I?' "'You must,' his voice was deep and low. "'If you tell your father or anyone, I might lose the chance to find this man, for lass, he's desperate cunning. Then he'd go free to rob others and maybe help make off with other poor girls, lass. Keep my secret.' "'But he might try to carry me away,' said Helen, in fearful perplexity. "'Most likely he might,' replied the borderman, with the smile that came so rarely. "'Oh, knowing all this, how can I meet any of these men again? I'd betray myself.' No, you've got too much pluck. It so happens you are the one to help me and Wetzel rid the border of these hell hounds, And you won't fail. I know a woman when it comes to that. I, I help you and Wetzel? Exactly. Gracious, cried Helen, half laughing, half crying. And poor me, with more trouble coming on the next boat. Lass. The colonel told me about the Englishman. It'll be bad for him to annoy you." Helen thrilled with the depth of meaning in the low voice. Fate surely was weaving a bond between her and this borderman. She felt it in his steady, piercing gaze, in her own tingling blood. Then as her natural courage dispelled all girlish fears, she faced him, white, resolute, with a look in her eyes that matched his own. I will do what I can, she said. End of chapter six.
2: Bet MGM has
0: an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then